Hello, everybody, and thank you, Janet. Wow, I just love those melodies that have spirit in them and story in them, and when you play them, you bring out the life about the subject. And in this case, it's about the Father which art in heaven, and we have a lot to say about the Father which art in heaven today. And ladies and gentlemen, so today we continue with the episode of the teaching, which we are calling today an opera of scripture. And um, we are going to call this um, part, uh, number six, part two. So uh, (laughs) hang on. We have so much to cover and so much, so many very interesting deep word revelations. Uh, God help me to get as much of it out to you and yet to do it in a way that uh, is, uh, you know, understandable. Uh, God, just uh, open your eyes and open your ears and bless you with this word. We're going to start first with uh, getting into some some things about understanding the truth about the word of God, because there's been some translations going way back in time and interpretations of those translations that have set people up to not be able to know the truth. And, you know, the Bible says that where the real truth is, is is by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, except I go away, I cannot send you the comforter. And when he is come, he will lead and guide you into all truth. And he, it even says that, that he will restore our memory on, on certain things. And, wow, <laughs> that is something that is the real crux. That's the real uh, divine oracle that leads us and guides us and helps us to know what is truth and what is not truth. One thing you can almost be sure is that many of the things that you thought were true, that you learned in the old system, will turn out to not be true. And many of the things that you thought were not true in the old system will turn out to be true. So we're going to talk today about uh, interpretation because there is a scripture, and I want you to turn to it, in Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> and we'll start from, uh, from verse 17. And, and this is very important because today we're going to be talking a lot about the Father you know, what the, what the role of the Father is and, and how important it is that God wants you to know about the Father and the Father's house and the revelations of the Father. And, and this is a major tenet. This is a major aspect uh, of, of being able to clear up the glass darkly. This is a, a major contribution to fulfilling the scripture, to setting aside the principles of the foundations of the doctrines of Jesus Christ, the laying on of hands, uh, the the baptisms, the, the resurrection, etc., etc. Let's go on to perfection. Not that those things are not important, not that they do not have even a primitive uh, uh, relevance uh, that digs into our very flesh and blood life. Uh, They do, but there is a point at which, you know, when you become a man, 
<coughs> in in a certain maturity uh, that then you go on uh, to 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 do the work of a man, and so uh, we're we're interested in, in in the truth about these things. Let us read from the book of Second Peter, and we're reading chapter one, and we start with verse seventeen. For he received from God the Father honor and knowledge. That's talking about Jesus. And you can discover that by reading more of the text. For he received from the from Father, uh, from God the Father, honor and glory. <clears throat> when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, we want to help you understand that whenever it says there is a son, you can be sure that even though the Bible depicts the virgin birth and the mother, that there is a father. And, and there's quite the story to the father. And, and, and Jesus frequently frequently refers to the Father which art in heaven. And, and we know there's other father types that are in, involved in the scripture. Uh, they incorporate Abraham. They incorporate David. Uh, it's, it's just there. And, and it cannot be denied. denied. And uh, so uh, here we go. <clears throat> there's a voice that has spoken from heaven and, and, and has in the excellency of glory has verified, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. Now, they're talking about the, the Mount of Transfiguration experience. And there was three that went with him. There was, there was uh, Peter, and there was John the Beloved, and his brother James. And they went with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were told many things, and they saw many things, they were revealed many things. And Jesus said, you not, are not to share this with the others until after I have ascended. And, uh, and so it's um, uh, very, very important to understand that there were, were people that had that experience. Okay, now it, he goes on and he says, we... We um, have a more sure word of prophecy, whereupon you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, I've always liked this particular uh, in translation, although I've for a long time understood that it was not a word-for-word -word verbatim translation of the Greek. Uh, yet, you know, uh, I always understand that in the translation, there are the 30, 60, 100-fold capabilities, the potential there. And so uh, they will not sound exactly alike, uh, but they will, in the sense of their various level of interpretation, uh, bring out uh, a, a relevant, uh, you know, interpretation. Uh, but there, there's something about this this 
this first here, uh, verse, uh, these, these verses that you really need to know, and you need to know it today, and you need to hear it today. And so open your ears and your hearts. So, okay, so this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. Now, this was an incredible experience to hear something from out of this world that, that verified that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and that God was well pleased with his ministry. And so he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Why, why did, did John say that? Because he's writing this book of, of, of the Gospel of John. He's writing the epistles of John. He's writing the book of Revelation. And, and, uh, and he is the one who says at the end of the book of the Gospel of John, if, if, all the things were written that should be written. If all the things were written that should be written, I suppose the world could not contain it or comprehend it, however you like to, to take it. So John had an insight, and he had a knowledge, and uh, he had an, a, a connection with, with uh, the knowledge about the Father. And so he says, it is very important that when we speak to you, that you take heed, and that you consider it as a light shining into darkness. Now, who is he talking to? Well, you know, he's, he's writing this to some of the Christians, and he's writing this to, to fellow disciples and, and people who have, you know, a certain amount of knowledge and belief. But he's saying, you know, your, your extent of knowledge and belief compared to the experience that we received on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's like darkness. You're looking through the glass darkly. You know, even Paul said that, for now we, pronoun, are looking through a glass darkly. But when that which is in part is done away with, which is the glass darkly, then he made it clear we'll be able to see perfectly. So John is saying, you know, your, your revelation what you have compared to the total revelation that is, to be, that is going to be given is like the difference of light and darkness. It, it, it has revelation, it has knowledge, but it's still dark, it's still a glass darkly. It's only part of the truth, it's only part of the knowledge, it's only part of the word. And, and this is the message that we have to get out to the world today. They have to understand that when these people that think that they're in such perfect light and such perfect knowledge and that they really know what the truth is, they need to know that even the disciples were far from knowing the truth. And the ones that, that, that uh, had uh, the, the, the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to really develop the highest truth were those that made it to the, uh, to the, uh, you know, to the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and because Jesus says, uh, I, it's, a, it's absolutely important, it's, it's, it's necessary, it's vital that I go away and I will send you the Holy Spirit who will lead and guide you into, you know, all truth. Now, that was a statement that's saying, you do not have all the revelation. You do not know all the truth. You do not know all the insights. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all this truth. And it'll even restore your memory. 
Now, I hope that you can get that message in. If you get nothing out of this message today, out of this message, if you get nothing out of this message today but that, you will have made a good journey. Believe me, that is so important. We have to understand that what people are calling light today is actually darkness. What people are calling vast, immense revelation that, that, that is just uh, uh, full of, of, of glowing illuminations is mostly darkness. It, it has good things in it, but there are so many particles of darkness in it that it does not shine as a bright and shining light. And so John says, and, and, it's, and it's beautiful what he does say, we have a more sure word of prophecy. So does that mean that there can be prophecies given that are not that sure? Well, of course it does mean that. Because people are giving these words of, of, of ministry, and they are giving, if we want to use this word here, prophecy, or prophecies. And, and uh, they're making statements about the end of the world. They're making statements uh, that are not relevant to what Jesus really taught. But people think that they, that they are relevant. They think they're precisely what Jesus taught. And when Jesus said, this is not the end in Matthew 24, this is only the beginning, they're all interpreting that to mean, regardless of what he said, that this is the end and, the be- and not the beginning. And, and so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, there's a more perfect word of prophecy. There's a more perfect word of ministry. And, and the Holy Manifest uh, word is about that more sure word. Now, when God uh, uh, woke me up to understand that, 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 uh, that the Holy Spirit had put a, a, a spirit of John uh, the Beloved, John, John the Revelator, on me, and, and that my eyes were going to be open in the spirit of, of John the Revelator, uh, I was astounded. But, you know, as I begin to, to have the memory of the Holy Spirit come into my mind, and I begin to re- see things and remember things that, that were like from other worlds, you know, and from, from past gone ages, and I begin to see these things and remember these things, and, and, and all of a sudden I thought, yeah, this, this, is, this is incredibly real. This is something that's really happened. And so I began to be able to, to speak like, uh, you know, very few other men had ever spoken and be able to say things like very few other people had ever said and to interpret scripture like, like very few people had ever in- interpreted scripture. And, and so when you have once been given such a charge and you have once been given such a light, do you think that you're going to give up and quit and, and stop for any reason? You're not going to let the, uh, the number of people great number, small number. You're not going to let the, the financial uh, things that, that are obstacles. You're not going to let the things that people say negatively. You're not going to let any of those things have anything to do with stopping you minister the word of the living God because it has become a part of the ever fiber of your being. It's into your atoms and molecules. It's into your soul of body and soul of spirit. Blessed be the name of God. Let's go on. Let's read what this, this scripture is saying here. We have a more sure word of prophecy. If you had a chance to follow some, some word that was a more sure word of prophecy and wasn't 
depending on the glass darkly, wouldn't you want to do it? Wouldn't you want to get behind that more sure, sure word of prophecy and prayer and, and, and backing? Wouldn't you want to do that? Wouldn't you want to see that, that whole word uh, of that, that ministry and all of the books and all of the, uh, the, the applications of information uh, were gotten out? Wouldn't you take it upon yourself to say, there's anything that I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to do everything I can in prayer. I'm going to do everything I can in, in passing on this message to other people to back this, this word, to back this sure word of prophecy. I want this word to get out, and whatever I have to do in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to do. That's what, that's, that's what God is looking to raise up today. Those people that are going to stand in the hedge, stand in the gap, and make up the way of the Lord. Because this is the highway, the royal highway, that we're, we're bringing people to, to walk upon. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. If there's any of you people that have any doubt about my feelings about Jesus Christ, get it out of your flesh. Because I tell you, I don't know how it's possible for anybody to love Jesus Christ more than I do. I don't know how it's possible for anybody to believe more in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior than I do. And I am not making any claim that that makes me better than anybody else. I am absolutely not that stupid. I'm not making the claim that, 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 that this revelation I have has never ever been known before in the, in the world. I think that the things that, that uh, those disciples that went up to the Mount of Transfiguration received about this Father's house were so outstanding, were so incredibly and beyond belief, as you will see when I open these scriptures to you. That, that, that every word was, was an oracle miracle and, and was an opera of song and scripture and, and truth and story. And it was, the, it was the opera of operas and the phantoms and, and all of the, the skinny tributes of, of wretched uh, uh, doubt uh, just began to, to shrivel uh, before the real truth of the word of God as it is spoken by the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, let's go on here. It says, so take heed. Don't treat this lightly. Don't treat this lightly. Take this as something extremely real. As a light that shineth in a dark place until you don't give up on it. You don't stop. You don't stop. You don't stop. You don't stop until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And, and, and this is all about the revelation of the Ophanim, the morning stars. And it's the, and it's the revelation of, of the title of Jesus Christ, the bright and morning star. And how that Lucifer, who was assigned as a, as a guardian angel, you know, and a covering angel, uh, took over that name while he was in that ministry and then illegally kept that name. It, it is an incredible ministry. It's a, it's a ministry uh, about the Father, which aren't in heaven. People say to me, you know, how should I pray? Should I, should I pray to Jesus Christ? Well, we know sometimes that, you know, people pray for healing for people in the name of Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is a beautiful name. 
Although if you were living in the days of, uh, of, of the fleshly time of Jesus Christ, walking in the human body, and, and the people heard you say Jesus, even if the disciples heard you say Jesus, they wouldn't know who you were talking about, unless by the Spirit that would be shown. Because, you know, it was Yahshua, and, and it actually was connected to the, to the name Joshua, which wouldn't be pronounced Joshua because the J's weren't even being used back then. It was, it was the Y's. So it'd be more like Yahshua. Blessed be the name of God. All right. Hey, let's go on. Woo. There's power here I'm feeling. And so you have got to hang in there and be tight until the day star and, and, and the day star, till the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. And when it says hearts, you know, hearts can mean mind, but it means something else also. It means that emotion of love, that emotion of trust, that emotion of, of, of obedience, that, that emotion of confidentiality, that, that emotion of when you are trusting uh, in, in the Lord Christ. And it's, it's something just quite sweet and, and precious of presence. Okay, let's go on. Now, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, we have to do something about this translation here. Because it has been used by the church world, you know, to absolutely close down the relevance and the beauty of operating by the Spirit by individuals. And I, I tell you, it's sad. Yes, it is sad. And, and uh, when you think of uh, all of the things that in 325 A.D. were closed down by the Council of Nicaea and how these people could play with the definite articles as though they didn't exist, Thank God there were some people around, some people of God around prior to that. Ignatius and Polycarp and Clement of Rome and Irenaeus, uh, who after the disciples were uh, still, you know, into many good things about the, the gospel. Thank God for that. Praise be the name. But now let's just think about what this says and why it has to be changed, because it's just not right. And, and, and we're going to change it. And this is, the, this is manifesting the word. Okay? First, let's just take a look at, at, at the word, you know, where of interpretation. Interpretation. Um, you know, in the Greek Strong's Concordance, number 1955, interpretation is the last word that is listed. And... This um, epousis word can mean explanation, application, and it can mean interpretation. But interpretation can only be applicable if it is applicable in the sense of being carried in the context of, of the word. If it's not carried in the context of the word, that's going to have something to do with, with, the, with the, the translation of each and every one of those words. And that's what we're going to go over real fast. 
or as fast as we need to for you to get it. Now, epileusis. What else is there? Well, if we go to go to its its um, uh, root meaning, uh, which can be found in in uh, the Strong's Concordance uh, Greek uh, number nineteen fifty six, it says to explain, decide, determine, to expound. Now, here is how the manifest translates it. Instead of saying, now listen to me, instead of saying, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, which is to say, now none of you people have the right to interpret these prophecies in this word of God. You don't have the right. You can read it, but you don't have the right to interpret it. And, and it can't be done personally. This has got to be done through, through the, the, the council of the church. This has got to be done through the hierarchy. And that's what they want. They don't want you to be able to interpret the scripture. They don't want you to, 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 to have that special thing that Jesus made possible when in the past the Holy Spirit was only available to, to a select few. And then all of a sudden, he says, I'm going to pour it out and make it available to everybody. I'm going to make it available to the servants. I'm going to make it available to the handmaidens. I'm going to make it available to everybody. And why did he make it available to everybody? So that nobody could use it? So that nobody could interpret the scriptures? Because they had to wait for some kind of council of Nicaea? 325 years uh, A.D.? Come on. That's what they're trying to tell us. And, and, and I've had people come to me and say, you know, the, uh, some of these things you're saying is of no private interpretation. I said, what kind of interpretation are you using to say that? Is that your private interpretation about my ministry? Bless the name of God, nobody's putting me under that thumb. Nobody's putting me under that, that, that kind of a rigid Limited. Needle's eye. That I don't need to be limited to that. Not that it's not possible in any condition you could go through the needle's eye. But I don't need to be limited to that. Because I'm free by the Holy Spirit. And so are you. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. So when people say to me, you know, <laughs> listen to this. This is Second Peter um, and and it's um, chapter 1, and it's verse 19, or pardon me, it is uh, verse 20. Knowing this first, knowing this first, that no prophecy, no prophecy, not any prophecy, not even a single solitary prophecy, not even a single solitary bit of word, because, because prophecy can also mean word, it can mean exhortation. Okay, and prophecy is uh, an unusual word for them to have even chosen to use here. No, 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 in no word of the scripture is of any private interpretation. You don't have the right to, in, to, to interpret anything. All you can do is listen to see to what the, the council says or, or what some group of, of a certain church denomination says. 
and that what they decide is the right interpretation, that's what you have to put on it. You don't have a right on your own. You're not free on your own. Oh, is that right? Well, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Je Jesus says, you know, uh, <clears throat> even though I bear witness of myself, you know, he says, I, I also I do it by the Holy Spirit, and I do it by the Father that is in me, which is sort of like saying, me, myself, and I. And, and, and you know, sometimes we have to do that. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be confirmed. Well, we don't use that particular clause unless we have to, but if we have to, all things are possible through God. Me, myself, and I, talking about the Holy Spirit that is in us, Jesus who is in our heart, our fleshly body, and our spirit. Wow, there's a lot of us, a whole group of us. All in this one entity. Blessed be the name of God. Wow. Someone says, oh, that's really hard to swallow. You must just have a narrow little throat. You must just have hardly any room there to swallow a good piece of meat. We'll pray for you. God have mercy on them. Give them some, like the scripture says, breath and width. Give them some leniency of expansion. Praise be the name of God. All right, let's get on here. Come on, this is good. We're just, we're just getting started. Knowing this first, that no N-O prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. No, I don't accept that. That's not correct. And here is to what is correct. Know this first, that no prophecy is considered scripture that comes from a personal expound. Oh, that's quite something else. Here's one of the first things you need to know. Manifest Peace Bible Interpretation. That no prophecy, actually word is the correct word, that no word is considered scripture that comes from a personal expound. The Bible says <laughs> the Holy Spirit. And, and let's just see if it isn't that what it says in, in, in verse uh, 21. For the prophecy, our word, came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, it was the Holy Ghost that brought the word. It was the Holy Ghost that revealed the word, that revealed the revelation. And it's the Holy Ghost that is, the scripture says, is to, is to help you to know and understand it. Person to person, group to group, church to church. But you are not limited to have to wait on some uh, futuristic group or past group. That's going to get it all chalked up and tell you what it is and what it isn't. It doesn't mean we can't listen to the vice and listen, to, you know, to what these groups say and and what these various kinds of leadership say. Of course, we listen, but we verify it by the Holy Spirit within us as to whether we believe that or not, and then we work it out according 
to our own salvation. Let each man work out his own salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. Which really means let every person work out their own salvation with respect and reverence to God. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're going to be just trembling and frivolating and, and, and just hardly able to stand up because you're in such a trembling condition. You know, that, trembling actually is something that is said to belong to the devil. He trembles, you know, uh, you know when at, at the word. When he hears the word, he trembles. You know, I hate to think that I'm doing the same thing the devil does, that I'm affected the same way. When you have confidence and peace in the, wor in the word, you love it and it loves you and it gives you peace. It doesn't give you uh, trembling and fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Wow. So, I'll say it one more time. You write it down. Know this first. Know this first. It's something that you need to know first if you're going to know this Bible. Scripture that comes from a personal expound. Okay, pro prophecy is considered uh, prophecy is considered scripture. Now let's get this right. Know this first: that no prophecy is considered scripture that comes from a personal expound. If this is your idea. If this is your revelation, if this is your ideology, you might have some points of truth in there. But unless it's by the Holy Spirit, then it's not the quality of Scripture. It doesn't say it can't be some kind of advice. It doesn't say it can't be uh, some kind of a point. It, uh, it, it uh, seems like it seems like um, that um, that everything should be based on people understanding that uh, the Holy Spirit is what's going to lead and guide us into all truth. And if we don't understand that, then we don't know the Bible, and and we are we are we are under some kind of uh, of regiment that is causing us to not go on with God. And uh, it looks like that you know. Um, these um, groups of people that call themselves believers and are in churches, and they keep teaching up through the third grade and repeat, up to the third grade and repeat, up to the third grade and repeat. They just are constantly in that, and they never go on to perfection. Uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a regiment, and that's got people tied down. That's got people in limitation, and they're being taught that this is great what they're doing, and it's right. Just keep paying your tithes and your money, uh, buying our our books and our publications, and and uh, you're streamlined into heaven. I wouldn't want to listen or trust or believe in people that teach like that, that limit you. I think it's time to go out and start finding the Holy Ghost, people. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you need to have the Holy Ghost loosened in your life. Wow. Everybody, you know, is born into the light. First chapter, first chapter of John. Everybody born into the light, the Bible says. They, they, are, they are born with that light in them. Every human being, you know. <laughs> Let's just turn to it. It's too important scripture not to turn to. First chapter of John. 
And I think it's verse 9. Let's just read it. And once you get this down, oh yeah, I've said it before. I'll be saying things again that I've said before. Okay, here it is. Chapter 1, verse 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man. E-V-E-R-Y. Every man. No exception. That cometh into the world. That is born in the world. Every man is lit with this light. What is it? It's the kingdom of God. Everyone has within them the kingdom of God because they are the fallen angels. Someone says, oh, well, that's not the fallen angels. That's something really bad. Well, don't get mixed up. There's two groups of fallen angels. There's the, there's the angels, the, the cherubim angels that were co-owned within Lucifer that fell when the Bible says that Lucifer and his angels were cast out. And then there's the ophanims that fell. The wheels, the ophans that are mentioned in first and tenth chapter of Ezekiel. The wheels, which are the ophans. That word interprets to ophan, which is the singular for ophanim, plural. Wow. All right. Let's go on here. This is absolutely very, very important. Now, once you get that down, ladies and gentlemen, it really does mean something. You know, in verse 20, it says, that says, no, you know, no prophecy. Uh, it, the word prophecy isn't even in the, uh, the, the Greek uh, uh, concordance in this area that we gave you. But if you do look in, um, you know, under the word prophecy, and you look at the Greek, uh, uh, you know, number um, uh, 4897, and number 4894, and, um, and, and that for verse 8, for, for, sorry, sorry, for verse 20, it would be 4897, and for verse 19, it would be 4894. So verse 20, which is, you know, know this first, that no prophecy, okay, uh, the prophecy word is really not even in there. It just mentions, uh, you know, uh, of the scripture uh, being of like of a, of of a private uh, interpretation, as they put it, uh, but really translated are really uh, yeah translated in the Greek concordance. Here's what it really says: to understand, to become aware, to be conscious or informed, to consider, to be to to be privy, to be aware, to have the right. And they're trying to take away from you that right. In other words, the very verse, the very verse that says that you you are are called to understand, that you are called to become aware, that you are called to be conscious, that you are called to be informed, and and and, and to consider, to be privy to, to be aware aware of. They have changed it and made it that. You can't have a private interpretation. They've taken away from you the very verse that says you have the right when you really translate, the, translate it right. Read it. Greek. Dictionary. Concordance. Of Strong's. 4897. Read it. For the word prophecy in verse 20 of Second Peter 1 and 20. Huh. And then in verse 19... Wow, in verse 19, you know, it's 
it's incredible. It, it, it's, it's talking about something so important to know. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's talking about uh, the same idea of, of, of awareness. And then it is connected with us and associated with verse, uh, ver, uh, with numbers in the Greek dictionary, 2398 and 2399. So the, so the Greek idios means one's, one's own. One's own. And then 2399 that kind of personal unlearned and 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 ignorant uh, ideas that people have idiosyncrasies and of course the the greek word here uh, idios and uh, idiotis meaning you know ignorant so so what is what is the scripture saying he's saying in this 17 through uh, verse 21 of, of chapter 1, he's saying, we've got a more sure word of prophecy, and you do well to take heed. How can you take heed if you can't, don't even have the right to make a personal decision? If you don't have a right to have a private interpretation? Come on. You can't do what the Bible says to do. And yet, in the very interpretation of it, it says to understand it, to become aware, uh, to, to, to be conscious of it, to uh, consider it, and to have privy to it. But they take, it, make it, take the privy away from you by saying, you can't make a personal interpretation. <laughs> oh, whoa. And sure, because as the manifest scripture says, manifest interpretation of the Peace Bible, know this first. Know this first, that no prophecy or no prophecy or word is considered scripture that comes from a personal expound, from people that are ignorant of what the Spirit is saying, uh, are, are not learned as to what the Spirit says. It cannot be scripture unless it comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a good way to get us started. Wow. I can't believe how much time that took. Okay, so we're going on because we have so much to cover. We've got so much to cover here, and it's so important. Now, does the teaching, Son of Man, Son of God, uh, the teaching about Mary Magdalene, uh, Jesus having uh, a wife and having a son, does that somehow uh, diminish the deity of Jesus Christ? Does that somehow diminish the deity? Well, if it diminishes the deity in your mind, then that is your problem. But people that really read the Bible know it does not diminish the deity of Christ. It makes it more beautiful. And the Bible is rich and full of the scriptures that, ex that, you know, are very clear about that whole revelation. Uh, 
Now, for instance, uh, I had someone mention this scripture to me the other day <clears throat> in chapter 2 of Philippians. Let's just take a look at that. Chapter 2 of Philippians. Now it says in chapter 2 of Philippians, and, uh, and, and it's a beautiful scripture. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So I had someone say to me, This means that Jesus Christ is greater than the Father, and Jesus Christ is greater than the Holy Ghost. And I said, and is that your private interpretation? Certainly isn't the Holy Ghost interpretation of it. Because let's just take a look at what the Holy Ghost would really say about this. When we look at chapter 2 in Ephesians, and we read here in verse uh, 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind does God want you to have about this subject? What is the scripture saying here? What is this telling you here? You don't have to wait to get some kind of, uh, you know, of a translation for this, some kind of interpretation of this from some new you know, counsel that's going to be formed. <laughs> you can just seek the Holy Ghost within your own heart and soul. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of a mind? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. In, in, in another scripture, I think it's Galatians, it says he, when it's properly translated in the Greek, it says he emptied himself. He emptied himself of his being an archangel, which it tells that he is an archangel in the, in the, in the, in the, the uh, book of Thessalonians, in which it says that he himself will come with the voice of an archangel. Now, it says he didn't have a problem with being equal to God, but he also did not have a problem. He did not have a problem to make himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, now we have a forensic word here. This word wherefore is a resultant of what exceeded, or, or preceded rather, uh, this verse. Something that it was said becomes a causation, becomes a because. Wherefore, here's what happened because that he did all these things. Even though he was equal with God. Now, I understand here, it says equal. It doesn't say that he was above God. Honestly, I do not know where some people are getting, getting their ideas at. It's, it's, it's just almost sad. Okay, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. 
But nevertheless, he made himself no reputation. He took on him the form of a servant. Was he diminishing himself? Well, of course he was. Did that diminish his deity, being equal with God? Of course not. Of course not. He would not have purposely made himself less of anything as far as the deity. This does not mean that he did not understand that when he took on the body of man, that, that, that the spiritual body of God was superior to that. That the, the, the angelic body of the archangel that he had before he emptied himself of those things, before he took on the form of man, that, that they were superior to, the, to, to that body that he, he emptied himself into. And he, and he put himself down. So in that sense, yeah, he entered into a, a diminished physical form, but that did not diminish his deity. And that's the beautiful mystery of it. The ability to be able to come into the flesh and still be able to, to maintain the deification. but made himself, verse 7, of no reputation, took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also exalted him. Now someone says, now see, he was exalted. Therefore, that put him above God and above the Holy Spirit and everybody and everything else. That was, that's what someone was telling me the other day. That's not what it said. It says, wherefore God, this exaltation came by someone that was able to be above him to exalt him. Someone says, well, I thought it said it was equal. Now you're saying above. Well, he, he, he diminished his body form. He went into corruptible seed as it explains it in the first uh, uh, book of Corinthians, chapter 15. It's called corruptible seed. He, took, he, he got involved in this corruptible seed in order to save it. Well, he made himself in no reputation. Yes, we understand that. Verse 9, wherefore God also hath ex highly exalted him. It's God that exalted him. And it's given him a name which is above every name. Now, now someone says, see there? Now that means that he's got a name that's above every name, including the name of God and the name of the Holy Ghost. You are not contextually reading the Bible, if you believe that. You are not reading by the Holy Spirit. You are reading. You are reading by this aspect that I read to you a little bit earlier. Idios. You are into the idios, <laughs> which is your flesh. <laughs> because you have to read the whole context. So let's read it. Now listen to me and let's read it. Wherefore God hath exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And there's a word then that picks it up. It doesn't end. That. 
at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in things in heaven and things uh, in earth and things under the sea. This is prophesying about a time when human beings are gonna, going to live in the, in, in, in the cosmic heavens. 51st chapter of, of Isaiah says, you know where to go. we are to go. Uh, uh, he's put the word in us. We're to go and, and plant it in, all, in, in the heavens, in the cosmic heavens. 16th chapter of Mark uh, it uses the word world, but it, it, it is translated directly from the word cosmic or cosmos, which says, go ye into all the cosmos and preach this gospel. Cosmos. People say, no, that's the earth. No, that's not what it says. There are places that it says earth because, well, you know, the earth is a part of the cosmos. And so specifically, we are to go to all the earth and let people here know. But in the 16th chapter, it says cosmos, go into all the cosmos. So we begin to understand this as we read it. What is this about? What is this about when it says that every knee will bow? Well, it's basically talking about the knees that have sinned. They're going to bow and they're going to confess their sins. Is this the Holy Ghost that's going to have knees and bow and confess its sins? Is God the Father going to have knees and bow and confess his sins? It's not talking about the Father. It's not talking about the Holy Ghost. Come on, get real. Get into the contextuality of this word, friends, of this Holy Ghost Bible. Woof. Listen to me. It says that at the name of Jesus... This was the person, he, the reason he was exalted, and that exaltation had to do with his name, uh, which is, he was named above every name, and that's above all these, these, these ophanims that had fallen, that it's referring to, that at the name of Jesus, all their knees should bow, and, 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 and they, it should bow in relationship to, two, to there's a 30, 60, 100 fold here thing. To, to all those, including all those people that live in the heavens and including all those people that live on earth and including those people that live down underneath the earth because in that day, the Bible says, they're going to go into the rocks of the, and they're going to go down in, in, into the earth to live. But then there's more than that because it even, it even uh, uh, applies to things like patterns. So, so, that, so that the whole pattern, as we will, if we get time, see later in the scripture, is also brought into this exaltation of the, of the name of Jesus Christ. And it is changed from being the, the blood of bulls and, and, and goats and lambs and, 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 and you know, sheep and, 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 and doves to, to, to be in the blood of Jesus Christ in a new and living way. Wow. So that it's a living sacrifice. And so now we begin to see in this most beautiful way of this exaltation that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Does, does the Holy Spirit have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, get down on his knees and confess it because it is made lower than Jesus by the exaltation? Does the God the Father have to get down on his knees and confess with his tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord? The same Jesus that, the same uh, Father God that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased? <laughs> Come on. <coughs> Excuse me. So what this amounts to, ladies and gentlemen, is 
something of a very importance to show how that people are, they get mixed up. They, they, they get all, all fouled up. Did the, the early church destroy historical evidence about Mary Magdalene? Well, I think just scriptures like that one that I showed you on interpretation had the power of destructiveness of the truth. And if you have it in one scripture like that, you're bound to have it in all kinds of others. So I think that there has been an altering of scriptures to take away from any position of women in the church. And we still have that in various religious faiths where, where they have downgraded the woman and made her a second-rate citizen, if even that. And the Holy Manifest is, is in a holy war to destroy this plot of Satan to, to take at least 50% of the people and, and cause them uh, to be downgraded and not to be able to be used in the fullest sense of, of ministry uh, because of that downgrading. And so the Bible says in Revelations, you know, the, the, the bride, the, the spirit and the bride say come. The bride is, is, is going to be revitalized. And the spirit is going to be connected with that revelation of the bride saying come, come. Blessed be the name of God. Wow. Wow. When we talk about these things about Mary Magdalene and, and, and Jesus, are we humanizing Jesus? Are we humanizing him? What do you think that son of man means? Does that mean son of angel? Does that mean son of spirit? Does that mean uh, vapor that looks like a human but actually is just a puff? Or it says, son of man, does it mean human? Does the Bible say that if you, if you re reject that Jesus came in the, in, the, in the flesh, then you are of the spirit of the Antichrist? Yes, it does say that. So if you're refusing to believe that Jesus came in the flesh as a human, then you're into the Antichrist thing. If you refuse to believe that, that in, the, in the makeup and the format of what human means, in the makeup and the format of what human means, that that does not incorporate and include a human life, but it includes some other kind of life that is not human, then you, have, you, you are not into the Holy Spirit. And you are leaning into that thing of not accepting that Christ came in the flesh. Because on the one hand, one you're trying to say, oh yes, I believe he had a human body, a fleshly body. But then anything that has to do with the flesh, any kind of living way of living that has to do with the flesh, like having a wife, having a son, you deny it. Oh no, oh, <laughs> that humanizes them. Really? I thought that's what he did, came, came down and took on a human body. I, I think that's what it says in the first chapter of, of John, that the word was made flesh. It certainly is not, in the sense people like, would like to say that, you know, uh, humanizing, uh, you know, in the sense that they like to say it. Wow. 
Wow. Did the Constantine effect with the Council of Nicaea uh, have a negative um, effect on uh, the belief of the church? Well, it certainly did. If you go and read any history about that at all, he, he came in with his ideas and insisted that they uh, put in his ideas. And they didn't really have a choice. They did not really have a choice. Wow. Now, let's just look at this thing, 1 Corinthians 11.3. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11.3, and let's just see what the Bible says about this thing. We read the one scripture about equal. And, uh, you know, let's just, let's just look at another scripture here because this, this is important. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Here we go. Okay. I would, I, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, what does that mean? The head of Christ is God. Because the Bible says here, in, in the book of John, Jesus said it in the 14th chapter of, of John, and I think it's the 23rd verse, my Father is greater than I. So that goes right along with this scripture here, perfectly. When it, when it says that that the head of Christ is God. So, so what, what does it mean? Well, it means a lot of beautiful things. It means a lot of beautiful things. In verse 9 it says, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. But in verse 12, it says, For as the woman is of the man, even so the man is also by the woman. But all things are of God. <laughs> that would sound like a contradiction to some people. But it isn't in the deepest sense of understanding. Because after it said in verse 9, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Then it elevates the woman by saying, For this cause ought the, ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. So this thing about, when we start getting into this thing about talking about a power being over, being the head of an entity has more spiritual depth to it than, than just saying it's the boss. It's not talking about just being the boss. It's not what it's talking about. Even though in one sense, the woman was created for the man. In the other sense, man is also of the woman. Scripture. In the sense that, that man is the head of the woman, gives causation for the woman, because she is the symbol of the church, to have power on her head because of the angels, which I've already ministered on that. We know that in Hebrew 2.16, it says Jesus took on the seed of Abraham. But there are other places in which it talks about taking on the seed of David. And there are other places which it talks about taking on, uh, on the blood of, of Adam, becoming the second Adam. 
because the Bible says in the New Testament that, that, that we're all of one blood. We're all of the blood of Adam. Wow. And the Bible says that the whole idea of being born again in 1 Peter 1.23 is so that we are not born, we, we are, we, so that we overcome being born again, but not of corruptible seed. Wow. Praise God. Romans 1.3 talks about, you know, uh, the seed, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that is not according to the flesh. And there, there's, there's some interesting things. Um, that scripture that I quoted, uh, 1423, actually is 1427. The Father is greater than I, John 1427. All right, we get these things put together. Praise the name of God. Okay, <clears throat> now let's talk about the term seed because that's, that's a, <clears throat> a really important uh, teaching. And we want to we want to talk about that. Uh, let's look at this thing, uh, Corinthians fifteen uh, thirty five. And I have to move along here because there's some things I just ha have to cover today that are so important. So fifteen thirty five, and here is what it says. But some man will say, "How are the dead raised up? With what body do they come?" Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bare grain it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. To every seed his own body. So we have to understand in this whole uh, rigmarole and this whole uh, dissertation that has to do uh, with the disbursement biologically, genetically, uh, prophetically, we have to understand that there is a plan. And just as the Bible says in the same uh, chapter that every man has his own order, uh, every man also is after, is after a certain body that is basically intended for that person to have. It's, it's almost like a, a genetic destiny, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, it's not so much that the, uh, that the body fits the spirit, but it's that the spirit fits the body. And so there is a body for every spirit because every spirit would, have be, would be of a different fallen level and therefore would, would uh, have a criteria uh, for uh, that spirit uh, fitting into a particular body. And so, so that is one aspect that ha does have a differentiation when it comes to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was not a fallen angel. He never fell. And so we know that, and we admit that, and we say that. Nevertheless, even though he did not fall, he did not take on what was rightfully his, his uh, uh, ability to do, and that was take on the body of, of an angel that had not sinned. But instead, he took on uh, the seed of Abraham, uh, which had within it a whole lot of remnant of, of, of fallen and, and downtrodden things. Wow. Whew. Now, let's, let's get into a scripture here. Uh, this has uh, always been uh, a controversial subject. Uh, let's, let's look at, uh, at um, into Hebrews. Um, 
and uh, we'll go over this just real fast. I don't have a lot of time. Hebrews 9.19. I preached on this before, but it's such a, it's such a repeated, important subject that we have to go over it again, okay? Okay, 9.19. Hebrews 9.19. Let's read. Here we go. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. The blood of the testament, the Old Testament. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of, of the ministry. Almost all things that are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore, therefore, this is another forensic word, meaning that based on this other that has been said, which was an example, which was a pattern, therefore, it was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now, the pattern of things in the heavens be purified, uh, it, of course, is, is talking about things on a natural level that occurred that were uh, still in the realm of being patterned in a, in, a, in a heavenly symbolic sense and metaphor. And, and that they could, for a temporary period of time, uh, th th they could be, uh, you know, uh, purified. But then if they were to go on and really get into the higher um, aspect the the hierarchy of the angels in their highest form of Ophanim and who they really were, then it was going to take something of a far different nature, uh, something much more powerful than anything the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet and wool and hyssop could, uh, by their sprinkling, uh, possibly have the right effect. And uh, and so the heaven things had to have a have better sacrifices. And it says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, let's get a hold of this. Christ is entered into heaven. This, there are so many different heavens that are mentioned in the Bible. You've got the heaven that's just a firmament, You've got the heavens of space. You've got the heavens of other planets, uh, you know. And then you've got the heaven of heavens, which is above all the heavens, which is a spirit heaven. And the rest of them are physical heavens. And so, instead of entering into, uh, instead of entering into, as he said, um, the holy places, which it means like the tabernacle, uh, the temple. Uh, which are physical places on earth, instead of entering into that, uh, Jesus chose not to do that. You know that when he had, he had uttered his famous Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that, that the temple was rent in two. So there was shown there a, 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 a non-acceptance of how that they were doing the things of the temple so that the temple, the veil of the temple was, was, was uh, rendered split in two. And Jesus, when he, in the 24th chapter of Matthew, talking to the disciples, said, and talking about the temple, 
said there will not be one stone left upon another. So it goes right along with the scripture here that says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. And this specifically referring to these holy places on earth. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. We need to understand what the Bible really says. The Bible says, come on people, that there is a place in heaven where Jesus went and appeared before God. And Jesus in the 14th chapter of the book of of, um, of John, the Gospel of John says, I go away to prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you so. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go away, I'm going to come again and bring you to, if, to myself. I've got to go. I've got to make preparation. You know, what, what does he have to do? He has to appear in the presence of God for us. He has to go and make a reconciliation before God for all of those that he wants to bring with him to that heaven, to that Father's house which is not like the heaven of the spiritual heaven, the heaven, the spirit heaven. It is, it is actually a physical place called the Father's house. It's a planet. And that's why there are things that still have to be prepared there, including presenting this to the Father. All right. Let's go on. <clears throat> For... Verse 25, and we are in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Nor yet should he offer, nor yet should he, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away the sin by the sacrifice of himself, so that we see that this act that he did, that he only had to do one time, had was a continuum. What he did that one time did not have to be reiterated all the time, uh, like the Old Testament church and even the the, the people of, of, of the time of Jesus, which were still into that Old Testament, uh, had to do which was a constant reiteration of the same thing in order to achieve even a limited amount of purification. And so this act that he did, the, the whole point of, uh, and the whole context of why it is using this word once is to show that you only, he only had to do that once for it to be, be eternal. Not that the way people are trying to interpret it, you know, you get to live one time, then you die, and that's it. <laughs> that wasn't the context. The context was about doing it one time and it being eternal. And, and, and so let's, let's go on with this. Let's go on with it. Okay. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. He's not into that kind of religion. If you're out there in some of these religious organizations and churches and tabernacles and, and old and new philosophies and, and, and you are into this dead, 
issue kind of religion. Uh, Christ isn't there. Christ isn't there. And, and, and I'm going to show you and prove to you by Scripture that he's not. He's gone to the, to the, he's gone to the Father. And he's gone to heaven to present this to the Father. Wow. <clears throat> and it says, again, verse 25, Nor yet that he should offer himself as often as the high priest entereth into the body, uh, into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and... Connecting, this is a conjunction, connecting that meaning to the next meaning. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that the judgment. Now, this is another translation problem. Because when they were translating the text in the Greek to Latin, the Greek syntax was ignored, which actually has the once before men. So it actually said, and it was appointed once unto men. So we got we got to get this straight. It is appointed once unto men to die then judgment. And 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 there there is a difference there, and you may not be able to see it, but we're not finished yet. We're gonna to try to help you get through this and see it. You know, we're going to try to help you get into in, in this and see it. Here's what it says. And it was appointed unto men once to die. Okay? Uh, but if you put the once in a different place, it changes the relationship of the meaning. And that's very, very important. You see? Because if you say, if you say it was appointed unto men once to die, then... then you are modifying the word uh, die with once. And if you put once before men, it's appointed unto men once. Now you are modifying the word men with the word once. And that connects to what it was saying up here in the prior verse, verse 26, about being able to put a, a sin away with one action. So that has a continuum forever. And that is so very, very, very important. Now, another thing that they do here that is just a crime, and they say, but after that, the, T-H-E, the definite article, which does not even exist. You know what? Get in almost any other translation. And you will see that, it does, that they, do not put the, they do not put the definite article, the, in because it's not in the original Greek. How could they have done that? Because when they did that, what did they have in mind? The white throne judgment. So a person lives one life and they don't live again until the white throne judgment. And then when the white throne judgment comes, then they live again to be judged. But the is not even in there. So what it's really saying, that every, when you live a life, you're going to be judged for what the, that life, whatever you've lived. And, and if, if you have not lived, had your full opportunity, the Bible says in Ephesians that everyone's going to get, everyone is going to get a time and going to get a chance. If you've not had that time and the chance, you're going to get the time and the chance. If it takes more than one life to have that, it's totally Bible. You just need to go and look at some of the teachings I've done. 
Someone says, how does this all tie into the Mary Magdalene thing? It totally ties in. Just hang and hold. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. So when we're really looking at the word appointed, it's appointed unto him. That's another wacky word they've put in there. It's appointed unto men once. Appointed. If you look up in, in number 606, in the Greek, the Dictionary Concordance of Strong's, what it really is saying, it is reserved. And that changes everything. It doesn't say you're appointed and that's it. You're reserved. It's, it, there's this promise laid up for you that you've got this guarantee that every person's going to get a time and a chance. Everyone's going to be get an opportunity, just like when Jesus went down into to purgatory or hell or upper paradise, whatever you want to call it, upper Hades, and preached to the people who were sometimes disobedient during the times of, uh, of the flood and preached to their spirits, and they were given another chance. Someone says, well, that only happened one time, never happened again. You don't even know what you are talking about. So you are better off to get a piece of tape, put it over your mouth for a little bit, and, and pray for yourself. Praise the name of God. So they've got scripture in here, ladies and gentlemen. They've got, they've got words that, that, that have, that have uh, uh, avoided the, the syntax and ha have put, been put into a place so that they modify uh, the, the wrong noun. Uh, they've got... Um, you know, um, uh, they, have, they have put in the definite article that was not even in the original Greek, which changes the context. Ladies and gentlemen, you're, you're being given the truth here by the Holy Spirit. And you need to listen to this and you need to let this word go in, into you. Praise God. You know, the Bible says another meaning of the word from the meaning of seed in Luke 8 verse 11 is that the seed is the word of God. So there's more than one meaning of seed. Praise the name of God. Okay, I don't know if I'm going to have time for this. I hope I do. This is so neat. But I, I've got to finish this, this one part here real fast. Uh, in Acts 3.20, let's, let's hurry, because we want to get into this thing about the Father and, and where the Father's place is. And, and you, know, you know, we're going to have to go on to next week. And it's going to take... It's a lot more time than I thought, but it's, it's such important teaching. Look at Acts 3, okay? Turn to Acts 3, and let's read something of what it says about Jesus when he left here, what's, what was going to happen. In Acts 3, here's what it says. <clears throat> and we're looking at verse 20 and 21, okay? And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom, verse 21, whom the heaven, the heaven, it's a specific place, must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. This is not a small thing. This going to heaven and waiting for the fulfillment of the, of the restitution or until the restitution of all things is something that has been, that most all of the prophets have has has uh, spoken within their word. There is meaning and revelation, of which if we have the time, we'll show you at least a couple of those. 
So it's very, 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 very important. Turn real fast to Hebrews 1. We got this scripture. We just read it to you. We read the other ones to you. Uh, let's look at uh, Hebrews 8.1, and let's just see how that fits into it, because it does. Hebrews 8.1. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, the sum, the total. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. H-E, now, and we'll see why this is. Why, why one time it says heaven, another time it says heavens. Because this is tied into the, 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 the Pleiades thing. And, and what I said here a while back, and, and uh, taking them uh, from the uh, cherubim uh, uh, covering to the, to the seraphim covering, uh, vice versa, and yet using the cherubimic place uh, of, of uh, foundation. So it's really, real neat. Now, read it again. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now of the things which, you, which we have spoken, this is the sum. This is a crux. This is this is a finishing thing. If if you're not getting this, if you're not, uh, you know, putting your heart, your mind, and soul into this thing about where Jesus is, and understanding it, then you're not into the restitution of all things. You're not into in my Father's house are many mansions. You're not into that Jesus has gone away to prepare a place for you. You're not into this whole thing that's all tied in to the Father's Father's revelation. This is major. It's essential. Wow. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty. Now, he's on the right hand. He's not the sinner. He, he's not having other people on the, on the right and left hand of him in this case. In this case, his position, his job, waiting for the restitution of all things, is he is on the right-hand side of the Father, of God. So let's begin to get this understanding uh, so that these people that are out there saying that Jesus Christ has been exalted greater than the Father, greater than the Holy Ghost. And, and, and that when we're saying these things, we are uh, humanizing him and we are uh, taking down uh, his deity. You know, that is just nothing but baloney. And, and, and uh, that, that, that wouldn't even make a good pizza. All right, let's, let's go on. Now let's look, at, uh, let's look at Daniel 7. Turn to Daniel 7. Here's one of the old prophets, a uh, powerful prophet, Daniel 7. And, and this, this is very interesting here. And let's just go for it. Let's see what it says. Daniel 7. And we're looking at verse 9. Here we go. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wall. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. This is talking about the number of the ophanims. And, uh, and we you know, just don't have time to hit that today, but next week maybe we can. And I beheld then, because of the voice of the great uh, words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed, and given to the 
burning flame. And concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 13. Now listen to this. I saw in the night visions, night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, Son of Man, came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and, and a glory and glory and a kingdom, and all the people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away his kingdom, uh, uh, that shall not be destroyed. Here we see Jesus as the Son of Man, coming and there are these other angels that that lead him in before the 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 throne of the ancient of days and and he stands before the ancient of days and and he presents as the other scripture says his case for the salvation of these people because he's going to the father's house to meet the father to do this to prepare a way and here is it again this is it again before the thrones before the ancient of days this is a prophecy of the prophet. It says in, in Acts and Hebrews that these things are prophesied by the prophets. Here's one and there's more. And, and it's just absolutely incredibly important that people get into this and they understand this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now let's 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 look uh, onward with this thing just a little bit a little bit further. Uh, turn with me to uh, uh, wow, I'm running out of time to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, and let's look at uh, this interesting scripture. Blessed be the name of God. Okay, Psalms 16, here we go, and we're going to be reading um, uh, 9 through 11. <clears throat> okay, here we are. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices in my flesh, uh, uh, and my glory rejoices, my flesh shall also rest in hope. My flesh shall also rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave uh, my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou hast showed, shown me, or shew me, the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Uh, here it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus that that he's before the Father. He's he's he he has made this presentation. He's reiterating this thing. You did not leave me in hell, uh, which uh, you did not allow me to go to, into rigor mortis, into corruption of my body, even though I had a corrupt the the, the body was a corrupt seed. Yet my uh, death was not able to turn me into rottenness. And and uh, and you have uh, uh, I, I am here uh, i am in my flesh i'm in my flesh body i am here uh, and and uh and uh you know he says you're not going to leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption uh but he, you've shown me the path of life and uh he says it's going to be so neat because he said for my people this is what he's talking about they're going there are ple pleasure pleasures and and, and uh, there is fullness of joy and they're going to come into an evermore type of blessing that's going to come upon them. Oh, I want to go on and I want to tell you more. I want to give you some other scriptures, but we're going to have to just finish. You know, there's so much. It's some of the neatest things. 
you, you just hardly can even imagine that I haven't been able to touch on to get into that I want to. But bless the name of God, I want to do a little prayer. I want to tell you that just recently we've had two incredible type of uh, of miracles that have happened in our uh, using, you know, this um, uh, wonderful uh, healing method, Gentile, generative touch. We've had a person who's been spared from having their whole uh, leg cut off due to a terrible uh, uh, infection of, uh, you know, that of gangrene. And, uh, and uh, you know, it, it was a miracle. Uh, the doctor said, you are healed. Uh, go get a pair of shoes and don't come back to me anymore. I just talked just a couple nights ago to a, a lady who for 11 years has had uh, a, a really bad kid, uh, pardon me, a real bad liver. And basically when I first talked to her, she seemed to indicate that, you know, she was facing death because her kidney was a dying kidney. Or pardon me, her liver was a dying liver. I've worked on kidneys, I've worked on livers, I've worked on so many body parts, I can hardly keep them straight. But anyway, this was a liver. I talked to her just the other night, just uh, uh, three weeks after doing the Gentile and doing a special stem cell transfer into her lymphatic glands, restoring a memory into those stem, uh, stem cells of when her liver was good and, and, and uh, putting it into the body. And she told me that she had uh, went before a special doctor thing with a liver biopsy. And the doctor said, you show no, no problems in your liver anymore. It is, it is up to normal. Let me pray for you out there right now. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, God reach out to you and touch your body and heal you. Every part of your body, every need that's in you, anywhere, may His Holy Spirit touch you. In the meanwhile, pray for us. Stand by us as we're trying to get this word out. God bless you until next week. Amen.